Man, it's good to be here. What a special day, celebrating membership. Uh, my parents are here from Vermont, which is really cool. Yeah, my dad's a pastor as well, so. And uh, I don't know about you, but it's exciting to come here every week and see some sort of new lumber that is up and being built, and uh, it's an exciting time to be a part of Trinity. And uh, uh, my family, we're thankful to be here and thankful for uh, Pastor David and Aaron and their leadership. And um, Hey, have you, ever, have you ever had a, um, a moment in life where you thought you were on the right path only to find out you were not? I uh, recently have experienced this, and um, actually many times this becomes a source of contention, and that's a nice way of saying fighting for my wife and I, okay? And some of you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever gotten a fight with your spouse or someone, maybe it's a friend or a sibling, about what line to choose? Anybody? Maybe at the airport and you got to pick the security line or the baggage claim line, right? Or, or most notably, it's at the supermarket, right? And you got to choose which line. For some reason, my wife and I, um, we, we always disagree on which line to choose, and it becomes a bit of a competition, which sometimes ends up in a argument and then leads to a fight, and then we have to get counseling from Pastor David. Um, <laughs> but it always happens where she's like, we should go this line. I'm like, no, we got to go this line. And, and here's the thing about my wife is, some of you may be like this, my wife is a line jumper, Okay. <laughs> So we commit to one, and then she sees another line moving, and she feels like we got to jump ship and go to the other line, which I know because of my wisdom and maturity, that's a mistake, <laughs> right? If you've ever been in traffic on a highway, and you look over, and the lane next to you is moving faster, you never switch, because as soon as you switch, your lane will start to move faster. You all know that. So, But she's a jumper. I'm like, no, babe, we got to stay put. But inevitably... Uh, it always happens where whichever person is right, the other one is like, I told you so. I knew we should have chosen that other line. I knew it. I just had a, and I'm like, babe, how did you know that? She's like, I just had a feeling. I just, I'm not going to say it's the Holy Spirit, but I had an anointing, anointed moment. But here's the thing. See, my wife goes with her gut in those choices. I have a very sophisticated algorithm. All right? So if you've not thought enough about this, shame on you, and I'm going to help you. Next time you're at Wegmans and you've got to decide which aisle to go to, there's a four-part algorithm that I'm going to teach you right now that will be very helpful for you. And about 50% of the time, you'll be right if you use this. <laughs> so <clears throat> first one is easiest, most, most basic, right? You choose the line with the least number of people. Okay, that's easy. The second one, because usually that never happens. It's all even. You're kind of like, the second one is this. You've got to assess the ratio between how many people on the line and how much stuff they have on the, on the conveyor belt right? Because it takes longer to check a person out than it does to scan the items. So you really got to pay attention. You got to assess, okay, what's the, what's the, how, how many items, how many people? And, and by the way, this is all on the fly. You can't wait too long or else someone will take your line, right? So that's number two. The third one is you got to assess the person buying the items. And some of you guys know this. Are they, are they going to take forever to check their items out? How are they with technology? Is the chip reader going to confuse them, right? <laughs> Are they, are they writing a check? Because if they are, head, head to another lane. <laughs> and the last thing I'll say about this, this part is, if you see a mom with a bunch of little kids who are screaming and hanging off the cart, your initial reaction is going to be to go to another lane. I'm going to warn you against that. Because here's what we know about moms with little kids. They know how to handle their business. 
and nobody wants to be out of Wegmans faster than the mom with the little kids, right? So they're going to, so get in that lane. And then the last one is this, you got to assess the checkout clerk. Are they a talker? Are they a counselor on the side? Right? Some of you know, you've been there. And this is, this is, you know, the, you know, the game is like, you want to be nice. You want them to be nice, but don't go too far. Right? They're like, Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you? They're like, Oh, thank God you asked. You're like, I, I wasn't actually really asking. Like, I, was, I thought this was just how it works, right? And so you got to make sure that, uh, that you get a good... And if you do all that, you assess all that, in a matter of a split second, you can pick the right lane and ensure that you will uh, beat your wife in the competition of who chooses. It was funny, I was thinking about this idea of, uh, of choosing a lane or choosing a path, and I think it's also true of life, right? There's a lot of times in life where we choose paths, that we walk in, and most of the time, if we're in the path, we think we've chosen the right path. But as we continue this series and look at this parable, this story that Jesus tells us, very well known, it's interesting because Jesus is talking to a group of people who have chosen two very different paths, and in fact, Jesus actually says both of them are wrong, and there's a third path that is right. Which means this, this morning for us, there's a chance that we have chosen a path in our life that we are convinced is the right way to go when in fact it's not. And the end of that path will lead to a place that we would never have chosen. But if we choose the path that Jesus lays out for us, we could have a life we never imagined. So this morning I want to look at this parable. And it's a parable that you probably well know in Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the lost son, parable lost son. And here's, here's what we're going to look at. Three paths. The first is the path of self-discovery. The second, the path of moral conformity. And the third is the path of gospel identity. Self-discovery, moral conformity, and gospel identity. I'm going to pray. We're going to dive in, and we'll have some fun. Y'all ready? Okay. Guys, come on. It's Membership Sunday. We need a little excitement. We're about to hear from Jesus. Are you guys ready? All right, let's do it. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this amazing church family. Thank you that we can celebrate you. We can learn from you. I pray that, Holy Spirit, uh, you would speak to our hearts. That wherever we are in life, that you would help us have an accurate assessment of that. That you would help us see the path that you have called us to. And that we would walk in it faithfully and joyfully. That's our heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you want to turn your books in your Bibles uh, to Luke chapter 15, or you can look up on the screen, uh, we're going to be actually starting in verse 11. So in this chapter, there's, Jesus is, actually tells three parables, which are all connected. They're making the same point. We're going to focus on the last one for sake of time. But I do want to start, and this won't be on the screen, but I want to read it to you to understand the context as we, as we look at the parable Jesus tells, it's important to understand the context. So in chapter 15, verse 1, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. That's Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, so picture this. Jesus is sitting around, and you can think about the inner circle. Close to him is a group of sinners and tax collectors. So this would be considered the people who are living wild, right? This is the self-discovery people. It's my way. I'm going to do it. I don't care what anybody else says. The tax collectors were, uh, from a Jewish perspective, were terrible people. They were not living for God, right? These are people who are far from God. 
And that's who's sitting close to Jesus, and he's teaching them. And then kind of the outer circle is the Pharisees. It's the religious people. It's the well-behaved, the good Christians. They're on the outside, and they're sitting back, and they're judging Jesus, which is interesting, right? Because if you, if you read, if you've gone through the whole series of Luke, we've already seen Jesus demonstrated that he's God already. And yet they are judging his, his uh, not only the fact that he's God, but the fact that he's a good Jew based on who he's talking to and eating with. That's the context. And so Jesus goes in and he tells three stories. And the third one is it's this. And starting in verse 11, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a portion. We're going to talk a little bit and then we'll read another portion. All right. So verse 11, number one, self-discovery says this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So the story starts off, and, uh, and remember, it's important to remember, right, this is a parable. So it's not a real story. Jesus is making it up to make a theological point. And that's, the reason that's important is because there are details which Jesus is going to mention, which may seem arbitrary to us, but they're very important. Every detail matters in this story. Jesus is saying it for a reason. So he starts off the story, and in the story we have a father, this patriarchal father, right, who has two sons, and he has an estate. And the first son, or the youngest son, comes to the father, and he says, I want my share of the inheritance. Now, if you were uh, one of the original listeners to this talk by Jesus, or this story, you would have, at this point, been shocked, right? Because in this culture, this was unheard of. The way that, the way that culture worked at this time was uh, a, a father's uh, wealth or inheritance or estate was wrapped up usually mostly in land, in livestock, maybe some property. It wasn't like they had a bank sitting full of cash around, right? That was their estate. That was their property. And, and their identity and their value and their honor within the community was all tied up into this. Their estate was a big deal. And what would happen is when the father would eventually die, that estate would be divided up and passed down to his sons. The first son would get twice as much as any other son. So in this case, he had two. So the oldest son would get two-thirds. The youngest son would get one-third. And so what would happen is uh, upon the death, they would split it up and they would divide it up. But when this story, Jesus tells it, the youngest son comes to him and says, I want my estate, I want my inheritance now which was shocking because really what he was saying, and this is what commentaries say, he was saying, I wish you were dead, right? I wish you were dead. I want your stuff. I don't really want you, right? I don't want to wait anymore till you die. I want your stuff. And this would have been absolutely shocking because it would have never happened at that time in that culture, and it would have been completely offensive. It would have been completely embarrassing for this father and for his family and in the community. It would have been totally outside of the boundaries of what's acceptable, and yet Jesus tells a story. And we go on and we see the response of the father, right? The typical response at that time would have been, get out, and as you're leaving, I'm going to beat you with a stick, right? That would have been the typical response. But the response of the father is, he divides his estate, which is a big deal. 
right? He had to sell property. He had to liquidate his assets, all this kind of stuff. And so he breaks up his estate. He gives it to the youngest son. And the Bible says that the youngest son goes off to a distant land. And this is important. And this doesn't just mean, in the original language, doesn't just mean he goes far away, which it does mean that, right? So you imagine the picture. He takes everything he has and he heads far away. Right? I'm getting away from you, Dad. I'm getting away from your rules, all your stuff. I'm out of here. But it also means that he, he was abandoning all that he was, his very culture, his identity. To go to a distant land to a Jew meant that you were abandoning your very identity and you were leaving it behind. So the youngest son goes to this distant land. He starts to party. He starts to live wildly. If you're wondering what that entails, probably just think back to your college days and insert that into the story. You probably did that. Um, we don't know exactly what it looked like, but nevertheless, he squandered everything that he had, right? And he comes to the point where he's got nothing left and a famine hits. And so there's no food, there's no resource. So he hires himself out. Now, when Jesus says this, hires himself out, it doesn't just mean he goes and gets a job, but it, what it actually means is he becomes a foreigner. So it's even a further picture that this young Jewish man has completely abandoned his identity, his culture, everything that he once was, he's now given it up and he's turned himself into someone else. And to make the picture, low, to make the picture even more clear, Jesus is trying to show you how far this son has fallen. He's now, his job is to go into the fields and feed pigs which in Jewish culture, right, was one of the worst jobs that you could have. Pigs were considered unclean. They wouldn't eat them. They want to be around them. So the idea that now he's feeding the pigs, and then finally Jesus says this one statement, says, and he wished he could eat the pods the pigs were eating, right? You see the picture of how far this young son has fallen. He's abandoned everything he has. He's left his identity. He's, he said to his father, I want nothing to do with you. I want nothing to do with your culture. I, I, I don't want any of you. I just want your stuff. I remember uh, I grew up in church and thankful my parents raised me uh, in a Christian home and taught me what it meant to serve Jesus. But as you all know, there comes a point in time, right, where you got to decide to serve Jesus yourself. And I remember, um, I remember getting to that point in my life, and honestly, I believed in God, but I felt like God's rules and his, uh, the way that I should live as a Christian were a wet blanket into my life. They were preventing me from finding happiness and joy and freedom. And I remember thinking if I could just do what I wanted, go where I wanted, and, and then finally I'd be happy. Then finally I would, I would find identity, right? Finally I would be happy and, and do this. And I believed in God, right? So I did not believe in him, but I didn't want any of his rules or regulations or his wisdom. And so here's what I thought to myself. I remember doing this. At night I would sit in my bed and I would think about all the stuff that I had done wrong that day. And I would pray. I would say, God, forgive me. And here's how I thought forgiveness worked and grace that it was like I had a sin meter in my heart, in my life, you know? And if whenever I said a prayer, it was like God wiped out the sin meter. And then the next day, as I started sinning, it would build back up. And in my mind, if I died when the sin meter was full, I was going to go to hell. That didn't sound like a great place. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. It sounded nice, right? I remember as a kid, my parents saying, what's the best place in the world you can think of? I was, Disney World? They're like, heaven's better. I'm like, all right, that sounds great, right? And so I remember thinking, okay, I've got to wipe the slate clean. But all the while, while I'm praying for God to forgive me, I'm planning on doing all the same stuff the next day. That was, that was where I was. And here's the reality. I wanted all the stuff God had. I wanted grace. I wanted love. I wanted heaven. I want, but I didn't want him. Right? 
You see the irony of this young son? Here's the irony of it. He wants the blessings of his father. But the very reasons why he has the blessings, the very reasons why he has the estate is because of the father's wisdom, the father's guidance, the father's rules, the father's uh, lacking, the father's uh, um, regulations in his life, the barriers in his life, right? All of those things are the reason why there is an estate in the first place. And yet the son says, I want the estate, but I don't want any of that other stuff. All I need to do is path pave my own path and I'll be happy. It's the, it's the path of self-discovery. The lie that we believe in our hearts, so if I can just make my own way, throw off all the rules, the wisdom, what anybody tells me, I'm going to do what I feel right, then one day I'll be happy. And of course, we see the picture of the son, the depths that he's fallen, right? Here's what I know, that today there's some of you in here who this is, this is where you're at. This is your life. Like me, you, you chose that path, the path of self-discovery, thinking I'll do it my way, then I'll be happy. And maybe even now, maybe today, right now, you feel like the young son in the bottom of the barrel. You're out in the field feeding pigs going, I don't know how I got here. I've lost everything of who I am. My identity is gone. I don't deserve anything. I don't know what I'm doing. There's hope this morning. We're going to read on. It says, when he came to his senses, verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against, <clears throat> against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. We're going to come back to this passage a little bit, some of the details, but here's what I want to encourage you in. If, you're the, if you feel like you've been down the path of self-discovery, do you notice the response of the father? He runs after the son. In that culture, that would have been unheard of for, for a father to do that. Maybe a mother, but not a father. He runs after his son. So we're going to come back to this, but I want to encourage you this morning, if you're here and you feel like the lost son, you feel like you've messed your life up so bad, would you be encouraged this morning to see the father has running after you? Right here, right now, the fact that you're here is God chasing after you. He's running after you. You are not so far gone and so far broken. You are his son. Number one, self-discovery. Number two, moral conformity. Can we read, we're going to read verse 25. It says this, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and so he called one of his servants and asked him, What is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, and so his father sent out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. 
My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, oftentimes this is called the parable of the lost son or uh, the prodigal son. But it's actually not a fair representation. We, we oftentimes resonate and think about the story of the younger brother, right? Oh, he's, he's out, he's wild living, he's, a, he's turned on God, he doesn't want God's rules, and then he's come back. And if you're parents of teenagers, you really resonate with that part of the story, right? Because you're like, yes, amen. Like, my kids are going crazy, will they come back? But this is actually, the older brother is just as much, if not, bigger part of this story in the eyes of Jesus than the younger and we often overlook it, but it is vitally important to understand in this, in this text, Jesus is not just talking about the path of self-discovery, but he's also talking a path of moral conformity. And so the young son comes back and the older brother, notice where he is, right? Jesus says he's in the fields. Remember I said details matter? He's not just saying that to tell you what he's doing, but in the original language, the image that Jesus is trying to make is that the oldest brother is off doing stuff, staying busy, but he's away from the father. It's a distant intimacy. So he's not so far like the young son. He's not abandoned. So where everyone looks around and goes, I can't believe he would do that. But he's far away from the father. It's in intended to show us that there's this lack of intimacy between the older brother and, and the father that the older brother wants to keep his distance. So he's staying busy doing the work of the father, but he doesn't want to be with the father. And so he's out in the fields and he hears this, this party going on. He, and, he, and he goes to one of the servants. He says, what's happened? He says, the younger brother's back. Your brother's back. It's amazing. And so he goes and it says that the older brother stands outside of the party and won't come in. And won't, notice once again the response of the father. He comes out of the party. He goes to the older brother and says, please, would you come in? We've got to celebrate. And notice the response of the older brother. He doesn't even call him father. He goes, look. Right? He begins to reveal the true motive and purpose of his heart. He says, look, I've done all this for you. I've slaved for you. I've obeyed everything you've said. I've followed all the rules. I've done all the commands. I've, done, I've never disobeyed. I've not been like that other crazy son of yours. I've done all the right stuff. And you've never given me anything. And now here this crazy kid comes back and you're going to kill a fatted calf for him? He's never even given me a goat, right? Like times have really changed, right? Does teenagers do that anymore? <laughs> Dad, you even give me a goat for me and my friends to roast in the backyard. <laughs> but that was a thing back then, I guess. I don't know. So he's like, you did all this for him. You haven't done anything for me. And he begins to reveal the heart of the older brother which is the older brother in his mind thought the way that he would get what he wants is through obeying the rules. So as the younger brother decided he was going to disobey the rules to get what he wanted, the older brother thought he would obey the rules to get what he wanted. Which is interesting because what it tells us is it doesn't matter if your good behavior or your bad behavior, oftentimes the motivation of your heart is the same, which is you don't want the father, you want his stuff. And there's two ways to get it, right? One is by being really bad, and one is by being really good, but they're both equally dangerous. And actually, I would argue the good route is more dangerous because it's easy when you're in the middle of a field feeding pigs, wishing you could eat their stuff to realize you've hit the bottom, right? To realize your choices haven't really panned out. It's easy to realize that, but it's really difficult to realize it when you're still in the mansion, you're still working the fields, you've still got a robe on, you've still got the sand, you're doing the busy work of the Father without being with the Father. 
Man, I, I, I remember, uh, actually, Dave was a big part of this story. I remember being in ministry for many years, and, and I began to go through this journey of really starting to understand the gospel. And I remember starting to understand things like what sin was, that often the good things I did were motivated by the same selfish desire, right? And, and, and I remember starting to understand things like God's grace and the fact that I didn't, have to, I didn't have to be afraid that every time I made a mistake or I sinned that I was, that I was gonna go to hell or that God was angry at me. And I, it was this whole world opening up to me. I remember just being overwhelmed by the truth of the gospel and feeling like it, my eyes were open and it was this profound thing. But you know what's interesting that began to almost immediately happen? I immediately begin to become self-righteous about other people who hadn't understood the gospel in the way I thought they should. And so I started to listen to other pastors and preachers, and every time I'd hear them, I'd think, oh, they're not preaching Jesus, they're just preaching morality. You know? or, or I'd interact with people, and I'd think in my mind, oh, they're so legalistic, they don't understand God's grace. Right? So I had this profound moment of humbling myself and going, man, it's all about God's grace. He loves me so much. This is amazing. I love him so much more. And almost immediately, what began to happen in my heart is I became self-righteous, judgmental about people that weren't at the level that I thought I was now at, which is ironic, right? But it's so easy. So I easily shifted from being the younger brother to being the older brother, and both are equally as dangerous, and neither are the right path. This morning, can I tell you, if you've been in church a long time, and I know there's a lot of you in here that have, there's a chance that you are walking in the path of moral conformity. And the idea that you have in your mind is, God, if I do the right things and I perform the right way and I say the right things, then I should get what I want. But the problem with that is life never works out that way. Stuff begins to happen. Circumstances happen. Things fall short. People wrong you, right? You lose your job. You lose your money. You lose your home. You sometimes lose people you love. And if you live in the path of moral conformity, you will always live with an undertone of resentment and fear and anger because you think you've earned something more than what you have. And so you don't love the Father. In fact, you'll begin to be angry with the Father when you don't get what you think you deserve and you see other people getting what you thought you should have. Moral conformity. We want the Father's stuff, but we don't want him. Self-discovery, moral conformity. And lastly, here's where we're going to land. The third path, and this is the only path that works, is gospel identity. Did you notice um, Jesus ends this story in a very frustrating way? Because he doesn't tell you what happens. Did you notice that? The father is sitting outside with the older brother, and he's saying to him, everything I have is yours. Like, I love you, right? So I I want you. I need you. I love you. You're mine. You're both my sons. And we don't find out what happens. Does the older brother go back in? Do they have a fist fight? Do they kill another calf? That's what David always hopes for, right? More meat. Let's do it. Do a little Korean barbecue right there. I don't know. Here's Here's what we do know, though. There's a reason why Jesus leaves the story the way it does. Because in this story, what we see from the father is this. When the younger brother returns and has abandoned all of his identity, all, of his, all that made him him, when he basically spit in the face of his father and said, I want nothing to do with you. I want you dead. I want you gone. You're a hindrance to my life. When he returns, the father doesn't make him work his way back in. Right? He doesn't make him a servant. He doesn't make him uh, pay penance. What does he do? He goes and says, get the finest robe, which would have been his robe, and put it on him. 
Get the ring and put it on his finger. And then get the sandals and put it on his feet. You know what all three things, all three of those represent? It's a restoration back to sonship. It's a restoration of identity. The father saying, you are my son. And when the older brother comes and he complains that he never got anything, which of course is a lie, the father comes out and says, everything I have is yours. Everything I have. The reason Jesus leaves this open-ended is because we're supposed to draw a conclusion here. And of course, when he's talking to the Pharisees, who are those who have walked the path of moral conformity, the, the lesson that they're supposed to learn is this. This older brother, had he operated the way he should have, should have left the fields, gone and found the younger son, and brought him back. He should have sacrificed what was his. Because at this point, remember, everything's his. The, son is, the younger son's already got his share. So everything that's left will one day go to the elder brother. But a true older brother should have left all that he had, all that was his, left the comfort and security of his estate and gone and found his younger brother, spent his own money to do it and brought his younger back. Why? Because he loved his father and he loved his brother. That's what a true older brother did, would have done. So Jesus leaves us with this reality of this. We need a true and better older brother. And of course, we know the answer is, it is Jesus. Jesus is the one, right, who, who leaves all that he has. He leaves all that he deserves. He leaves his riches and his wealth and his prominence, and he sacrifices it and gives it all up to, to come to earth, be born into poverty, persecution, to come, why? To rescue you and me, to find us and bring us back. Jesus is the one who gave up his robe and his ring and his sandals to put on your back and your feet and my hands. He did it to bring us back and to restore our identity. See, the only path to walk is the path of gospel identity. When we forsake our good behavior and we forsake our bad behavior and say, that's not how we do it. How we do it is resting in the fact and the truth that we have a true older brother. His name is Jesus and he's done it for us. And so this morning, here's, here's why that's a powerful moment. If you have been walking the path of self-discovery, you can remind your hearts that the wisdom of God is not a bad thing. That we can enjoy the things of life, things like money and family and sex and all these great things. We can enjoy them within the parameters and the wisdom that God has laid out before us. They are good things, but they're even better when we submit to his wisdom and his authority and his power. So when the temptation comes to walk your own path and forsake that, you can remind your hearts that your identity is secure in the gospel work of Jesus, and you can submit what you want to what he wants. And if you're in here and you've been walking the path of moral conformity, you can remind your heart that your work is never good enough. Your behavior is never good enough. Your standing with God was never based on how good you were, how long you spent in the fields, how well-behaved you were, how much better you were than the people around you. It was always based on the fact that you have a true older brother who did what you never could. That's the comfort to our hearts. So in a moment, we're going to take communion, and here's why this matters. This story is a reminder that the greatest need that we have is to be reminded of gospel truth. 
that our tendency is to, to take a path different than what she, we should. And so we can be excited this morning, but our tendency this week is to go walk back in the path of self-discovery, back in the path of moral conformity. What we need is to be reminded of the gospel, to bring us back onto the right path. We're about to partake in communion. And the reason we do communion, the reason why we gather together is to remind our hearts of who our true older brother is and what he's done for us and that we can walk in his path. So Pastor Jason's gonna come and lead us, but before he does, can we take a moment of self-reflection before God? We're gonna bow our heads and close our eyes. And if you're here this morning and maybe you've never put faith in Jesus, maybe you've never put your trust in him, before we do communion, I just wanna offer an opportunity if you're here and you say, man, I feel like I'm understanding who Jesus is and I want to put my faith in him, I want to walk in his path, if that's you this morning, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'd just love to pray for you this morning. You say, yeah, I want to put my faith in Jesus this morning. Awesome. Well, for everybody else, let's, take, let's just take a few moments and say, God, what path have I been walking in? And would you remind me, Jesus, remind me, Holy Spirit, of your path, the path of the gospel.